Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. The last steps of Jesus. Matthew 21 starts us out and goes all the way through Matthew 28 is, is the last steps of Jesus. In Matthew 21, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and the people are excited. They're throwing palm branches down. They're shouting praises to Christ. I mean, it was a big day. But remember, only four days later, they're calling for his crucifixion. Only four days later, he's being brought to trial. So these last four days, as we're, we're digging in to what Jesus is teaching, it's significant, right? The last thing you share with somebody before an important moment needs to be listened to. Uh, this became real to me when I was hanging out with my, my sons. We went shooting one day, and they brought some friends, and one of those friends just knew everything before we even started talking. You know, you know what I'm talking about? He knew everything about shooting guns, and he, he shot every rifle under the, the sky, according to him. And so I'm trying to teach him how to shoot, and he's not listening. And I'm explaining to him that the next gun we're going to shoot, this deer rifle, has a bit of a recoil. Pretty good kickback on it. And he needs to make sure the, the butt of the stock is against his shoulder. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Gets the gun and tries to do it like he's seen in the movies, where you just hold it out here and, and start shooting. Yeah, all you guys that have shot rifles before you know what's about to happen, right? <laughs> Pulls the trigger, that thing recoils, and he doesn't have it against the shoulder, catches him above the eye. You ever seen a cut above the eye bleed? I mean, like his whole shirt was covered. Eight stitches later, the young man learned that maybe what I was telling him about gun recoil actually has something to, for him to listen to. Well, these are the last words of Christ, the last eight chapters here of the book of Matthew. Something we can learn is, as Christ is pouring in. Matter of fact, if you think about it, he's taken eight chapters to look at this last week of Christ compared to the first 21 for the rest of his life. Pretty significant stuff. So we're glad you're here. If you're watching online, I wanna encourage you to get your Bible out with us and follow along uh, for all of us, let's pull out our Bible to Matthew chapter 24 today. Matthew 24, Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples. He's giving them some insight. He's, he's preparing them for when he is gone. And he's trying to set them up on a path where they'll be prepared for the persecution and the, the problems that are gonna follow. So we're gonna start with Matthew chapter 24. I'm gonna read verses one through five. I'll be reading from New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. 
and they will deceive many. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to start us off with this passage. Lord, we come humbly before you, and we thank you that you cared enough about us to write down the words of Christ and to allow us the chance to read them today. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that your word is true, that it can be trusted, and that we can apply it to our lives. So I pray now as I, as I share, Lord, I pray that you would begin to open the hearts of everybody in the room and that your spirit will prepare us for the future. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you got your listening guy? Go ahead and pull that out. The first thing I want you to see that Christ is teaching them is that there will be many false teachers and we must not be deceived. Now, he starts by talking about the temple. The temple was the place that they would come together as Jews and worship. From all over the, the globe, they would come to that temple to worship. They would come at the feasts and the festivals to worship, and the people in Jerusalem, they would worship there every week. And so the disciples, it was an important place for them. And as they're looking at it, Jesus says, all that's gonna crumble. All that's gonna be gone. And, and following his prophecy in 70 AD, uh, the Romans did come in and, and totally demolish the temple uh, because of their conflict with the Jews. But what he was telling them was more important was the possible crumbling of their faith if they listened to false prophets. Because people will come and they will speak lies about Christ. They would come and try to use the good news of Jesus to their own benefit, to their own profit. Matter of fact, a lot of the letters that Paul wrote later on in the New Testament are letters telling the people how to flee from these false prophecies and how to see them for the lies that they are. Now, do we still have false prophets today? Of course we do. All over the place, we see men using the stories, the truths, the gospel of Christ, twisting it to manipulate people for profit, for power, for prestige. But Christ has warned us of this. So how do we be prepared? What do we need to do? Well, I'll tell you the biggest way you, you recognize a counterfeit is you understand the real thing more. I don't know if they still do it, but I did read that years ago, when they were trying to teach their tellers how to prepare for the counterfeit to find counterfeit $20 and $100 bills before they could take the little yellow fluorescent mark on it, they would teach them by having them handle real money all the time, by counting real money. And then when the fake came through, they could feel the quality of paper was not the same. They had to learn the real stuff first so they could see the counterfeit. God's word is here for us today. We have the real stuff here to read every day, and it applies to so many, if not all areas of our lives even today. And so I just wanna ask you today, are you reading your word? Are you prepared to see a false prophet and call a false prophet? Or if a false prophet comes and says the right things to tickle your ears, would you just follow right along with what they're saying? So many times I hear people say, well, pastor, I just believe what you say, and I don't want you to without testing it according to Scripture. 
because the word of God is what I'm called to line up against. Now, I'm thankful we have an elder team here. There's seven of us on the team, and that team has the authority to speak into my life. And if I ever preach anything that's unbiblical or lies, they call me out on that, and that's what they need to do. So, first thing I'll tell you is don't be deceived. Jesus is warning the disciples not to be deceived. If you look later on in some of Paul's writing, he'll say at one point to Timothy, he's like, Everybody's left me. They've all been deceived. They've all gone off to these other areas. It can happen. But let's not let it happen to us. Second thing, he tells us that wars and disasters will come, and we must not be surprised. Seems like every time there's a big war, people think that's the end of the world, right? Now, I wasn't around for World War I or World War II, uh, but a lot of that happened then, and a lot of it still happens today. When we see a big conflict, people are like, oh, get ready. We just invaded Iran. We just invaded Iraq. We just invaded wherever it is that time, this time. We just dropped a bomb here. We just dropped a bomb there. That's right in the middle where Armageddon's going to take place. This is probably the beginning of it. And, and we hear that stirring, don't we? And I would just say Jesus is telling them, look, guys, there's wars going on now. There's wars going to keep going on. Don't let that fool you. Don't be surprised. Verse 6 through 8 says this, and you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. These birth pains, they continue to come. We continue to have famines and earthquakes, right? They continue to take place. Uh, do I think Christ is returning soon? I do, personally. I, I think we're getting very close, so close, uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one is, if you look at the sinfulness that's come into our community and our, our global community. You look at the evil that's increasing. You look at the, uh, the debauchery, people just totally rejecting anything having to do with God. And you see all that, and you realize in the end times, twice, Sodom and Gomorrah and the time of Noah, when things got so bad, God said, it's time. It's time to wrap things up, and God brought judgment. So I think we're close for that reason. I also think we're close because we've, we've seen all the earthquakes, we've seen the wars, we've seen all that, and then what we're going to look at in the end here in verse 14 is that it says in the end the gospel will preach to all the world, and we are so close right now with the good news being in almost every known language. We're very close. So he's telling them, don't be surprised. Be ready. Be ready for his return. The, the disciples and Paul and the early church believed that Christ could come back at any time in their day. So for that reason, I think we need to be living our lives ready for Christ, not living under fear. Ah, I don't, that's manipulation, right? If I'm up here saying, Jesus is coming back, you better be in church next Sunday because 
because I'm sure it's going to be splitting the skies at between 9 and 11 a.m. on a Sunday, right? I remember going out to California when I went out there for seminary, and I don't know what cult it was, but there were people on every street corner in San Francisco, not every, a lot, with signs saying, prepare, Jesus is coming back October 31st. What was that, 1993 or something? They, they, they were calling the day and the hour. I mean, they were like, they had signs. They were convinced. They had people all over the city telling them, Jesus is coming. They're naming the time. Guess what Jesus says? No one will know the day or the hour. So if somebody comes telling you the day he's returning, they're wrong, okay? They're wrong. But he does say we can know the season. And that's why I say I, I think we're close. But he wants to tell them not to be surprised because of wars, rumors of wars, or natural disasters. And then third, we will be persecuted, and we must persevere. Persecution will come. Matthew 24, 9 to 13, he's warning them, and we know that they went through it immediately. It says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Now, how does that work for recruitment of, of disciples right there? I mean, here he is. He, he's about to go to the cross, and he tells them, listen, you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to be killed. Come follow me, guys. I mean, this was not a health and wealth prophecy. This wasn't, if you follow me, you're going to have a brand new camel and three wives, okay? This was... If you follow me, you're going to be persecuted, it's going to hurt, and you're going to be killed for your faith. This was the last week. He's preparing them for what's to come. Verse 10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, he knew that Judas would be one of those, but also there are many all throughout because when persecution comes, you have to decide, do I really believe this or not? Verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Sound familiar to today? 13, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. Persecution. We don't see it per se a lot in America today. But globally, there are over 50 nations right now where it is still illegal to express your faith and to share your faith with those around you. And you can be imprisoned, even in democratic countries that, that claim democracy. They still have ties to certain religions, and if you proclaim Christ to someone of that religion, you can be arrested, imprisoned. Communist nations such as China, Still, throwing pastors in prison. Persecution is everywhere, globally. Did you know it used to be in America as well? I know, people came to America for religious freedom, but guess what, they didn't get it at all times. Virginia, for example, used to be a, a uh, king colony. What that meant was the laws were still in place there that were in England, and so if someone was in Virginia, they had to be in an Anglican church on Sunday morning. And if they weren't, they could be publicly prosecuted and punished 
And even worse, if you preached what they would consider a false doctrine, such as what we're doing today, anything other than the Church of England, that you could be prosecuted. A man they called Swearing Jack, because he cussed so much, was a lawyer. And part of what he did was he prosecuted Baptist preachers who would preach in the woods, preaching the gospel, and that when they'd catch them having these illegal meetings, they would arrest them and he would prosecute them. Well, the problem was Swearing Jack started listening to what they were saying and noticing that they had this incredible faith and stood firm, and they persevered to the end. They didn't give up their faith. And Swearing Jack became born again and became a preacher, a Baptist preacher, who was then prosecuted by his fellow teammates that he had worked with previously and was incarcerated and punished for preaching the gospel. This was all before the revolution. The revolution takes place. They're planning the Constitution. And James Madison's the representative for Virginia. And he's wanting the people to vote to ratify this constitution. But the people, had, had they'd had a spiritual awakening and there are enough there, non-Anglicans, who wanted religious freedom that, that they said to him, unless there's a bill of rights, they, they got 10,000 signatures together, which was like 10% of the entire voting population of Virginia at that time. Unless there's a bill of rights, we're not gonna recommend that we sign this constitution for this new nation. That's when James Madison met with a man named John Leland, a pastor and leader of the, the Baptist group that was there. They struck a deal. Madison went back, worked with Jefferson, wrote the Bill of Rights, ensuring that all mankind in America would have freedom of their religion to worship as they see fit. What if they'd remain silent? What if they hadn't persevered to the end? What if they hadn't had the courage to stand against the evil that was there? What would have happened? Well, you and I might not have religious freedoms today. So I wanna challenge you, grandparents, parents, will you take a stand today and be willing to do what's right in honor of God before him that your kids might have rights to believe as they grow up? Will you be willing to lose your job because you won't back down to unethical and ungodly behavior? Are you willing to, to stand firm in your faith when you know that you're doing it for God's right, even if you lose on that business deal? Listen, if you're a business person, you will have a deal that sooner or later, you're gonna have to lose on that deal to keep your Christian faith, am I right? Sooner or later, there's gonna be opportunities that you're gonna either make money or lose money based on whether you keep your integrity. There's gonna be opportunities that all you have to do is just compromise a little bit of your faith, a little bit of your belief, and you'll be given that promotion. I had a friend of mine, he got, he got born again, a crazy story Oh, Mike. Mike was, uh, he worked for the zoo out in Los Angeles. And his job, along with four other guys, was to go out and cut brush all day long, and they'd bring it back as food for the, uh, for the animals in the zoo. But what they would do, he said, was they would go, they'd work for two hours, and then they literally would take a four-hour break, drink, smoke, do whatever they wanted to do, and then the last two hours, they'd finish up and head back. 
Well, after Mike got born again, the Holy Spirit started convicting him that he was supposed to be working. And he was like, well, what do I do? All my buddies are still doing the same thing I was doing just last week. And he felt convinced that the Lord was saying, you need to work as unto the Lord and not unto men. And Mike wasn't preaching at them, but this time as they started partying, Mike just kept working. And they're like, Mike, come on over here. <laughs> come on, man, we're all having our time. And Mike's like, I, I'm, I'm gonna keep working. This went on for a couple days. Then they started getting mad at Mike. Mike quit. And then they were concerned that Mike was gonna tell on them. Even though he didn't, even though he just chose to honor God in his time, they all got together and said, listen, if Mike blows the whistle on us, we'll all lose our job. So they all conspired and said that Mike was not doing anything and got Mike fired. Almost sounds crazy, doesn't it? Goes on all the time. If we do what's right, there are times that the enemy is gonna come against us and try to get us to shut up, try to get us to go along with the crowd, and that could be seen as a bad thing, or it could be seen as that's the chance that we have to be the light to all those around us who've been watching us and wondering if our faith is really real. And that's the chance that we can have to be a light that shines brightly, that perseveres even in the time of persecution or just difficulties. Well, the disciples, they knew what was coming, and it was coming, and he warned them when it comes, do we retaliate in our anger or do we still choose to show love? I believe God wants us to still show love. Now, let me tell you, that persecution, it's, it's real globally. If you look globally, over 50 nations are still persecuting. There are nations in this world today that if you profess your faith in Christ, you will be beheaded. And persecution is strongest in countries like Iran and China, which is interesting because those are countries that the gospel is growing quickly. Why is that? Because when people persevere and they stand strong for what they believe, people notice. So I just challenge you. Acts chapter 5, 17 to 42, you don't have to read it, but you can jot that down on your sermon listening guide. You can go back and read it later. It's the story of after Christ rose from the grave, they arrested the apostles, they brought them all in, and they said, guys, we need you to shut up and quit talking about this Jesus. It's causing a problem. And Peter said, it, it's more important that we obey God rather than men. And said that they beat them, they flogged them, which means they beat them pretty good. They beat them and sent them out. And it said that the, the disciples rejoiced that they had been persecuted for Jesus' name. Now, I don't know that I'm at that point yet. I don't know that if somebody beat on me for following Jesus, I'd walk out there going, yes, I'm so excited. I'm so grateful somebody got to beat on me for following Jesus. Uh, but I hope and pray that no matter what it is, that each one of us will persevere. Well, the last thing is the good news will spread through the whole world. It tells us the good news must spread through the whole world. It says in verse 14, Matthew 24, 14, last verse, 
And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. This is amazing. In that time back then, that had to like blow their mind because they only knew about the Roman Empire. Then as time went on and people began to discover the whole world and all the different languages, right? Thousands of languages, dialects upon dialects of languages. And so for generations, some people thought this will never take place, that the gospel goes into all the world. And yet now through the internet and through the ability of groups like the Wycliffe Translators, the gospel has been translated in almost every language, not every dialect, but almost every language. And I think we'll see that in our own lifetime. And the good news of Christ is being carried to all nations and all people. Now, you and I have a part to play in that. We're called to sacrifice ourselves and give for the work of the Lord overseas. We're called to go as God leads us to go. We've got several trips that we take every year where we go to different nations and share and support the church and the church planning work around the world. And each one of us can be a part of that. The question is, will we? Will we choose to go? Will we be a part of getting that good news? And then what is that good news? When we say the good news of Jesus, here's what it is. It's that Jesus Christ can rescue you and I from whatever we've done. That he can give us a full pardon of whatever sin we have committed. And the sad thing is I do meet Christians that even though they know that and they hear that, they still haven't forgiven themselves of something. And they need this good news of the forgiveness of Christ. Got a video right now of someone who is a member of our church and then went with our church plant to Sparta. And even though they got saved, they still carried with them this burden of their sin until Christ rescued them. I want you to hear their story. When I was 15 years old, my best friend's mother died instantly of a massive heart attack. And we got home just on time to see them loading her dead body into an ambulance. One year later, when I was 16, my 19-year-old brother committed suicide. And one year after that, when I was 17, my father um, died in a car accident, drunk driving. So needless to say, all of this gave me um, the constant feeling needing love, not finding love. And needless to say, I was looking for it in all the wrong places. So I began living reckless, um, drinking and, and having too many boyfriends. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. So when I found myself pregnant at age 19, I went um, to my old familiar tools of shame and secrecy. Did not tell anybody close to me. I um, told a woman that I hardly knew, and she said, well, you know, you can just get an abortion. In fact, I'll take you tomorrow. And so that's, in fact, exactly what happened. I had the abortion, and I didn't tell anybody about it. In fact, I didn't talk about it for 29 years. I didn't even say the word abortion for 29 years. Uh, that is the guilt and shame 
that goes with this decision? Well, big part of the story is because of that one decision, I often wanted to go to church, but didn't think that I could. Um, so at age 46, I actually came to know Jesus. Um, when I say I didn't think I could, I didn't think God wanted me um, at church, and I didn't think his people wanted me there. Um, but then I did uh, come to know him at age 46, and he took me to a, um, a women's conference where I would um, confess the sin of my abortion on a piece of paper and tag it to the cross. At that, at that conference, um, I felt the presence of the Lord because I did not feel that he, um, that he had left me. I never knew exactly what I thought about him um, until just a couple of years before that when I, when I came to give my life to him. But at that women's conference, they said, tap, tap this, you know, whatever you want to lay down at the cross, tack it to the cross. And so I did. I walked trembling to the cross, um, and I tacked my sin of abortion up there. And for the first time, I went to the altar and wept for my unborn child. So that day, I did. I felt his presence, um, and and at that point, he let me know we're we're going to deal with this. Um, he let me know we're going to deal with this. After I came back from that conference, um, my husband, my now husband and I were dating and, um, and I thought, I have to tell this man what I've done. And I thought, wow, this is where it ends. Like this man has known Jesus all his life. I'm going to lose everything, which is the lie of the enemy. He tells you, you're going to lose everything that you have and everybody that you love because nobody could know. So this is a great big lie. Um, because I told my sweet husband, um, my boyfriend at the time, and he said, that's not who you are anymore. So from there, God, well, again, he, he led me through several things of healing. And I thought I would help at the Cookville Pregnancy Center, um, just, you know, helping with getting diapers and wipes to people because that's easy, right? Having no idea there was anything uh, called post-abortion healing. Um, but when I went there, I was told that I needed to do, I needed to heal, that I needed to do a study. And so I did. Um, and then um, from there, I had heard about retreats. And and so I asked, you know, what is what are these retreats about? And um, in that, um, I was told about Deeper Still. And so the Lord pointed me to go to a healing retreat and he met me there in in the most amazing way and he healed things that I had no idea were broken he showed me all the tentacles um, that were far-reaching that stemmed from this abortion um, yes well there were things in my childhood also that were um, issues to heal from but how profound the impact of this abortion was reaching where I didn't, I didn't trust people. Um, I self-isolated. I used to be very outgoing, and at this point, I was very closed off because I didn't want anybody to know what I had done. Because again, the lie of the enemy: if anybody knows, and knows everything. Nobody else will like you. Um, certainly, couldn't be used in ministry, right? 
So I, I went to my deeper soul retreat and the Lord healed me in ways that I never thought possible um, and, and healed things that I didn't even realize were broken. And um, he then uh, brought me back and, um, and did many things in my life that eventually brought me to praying about bringing deeper still to the upper Cumberland, telling me people need this where you are. That is the good news. That our past is no longer who we are anymore. But Christ rescues us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness and gives us a new life. Now, the group from Deeper Still, they're, they're out in the lobby. They'd love to meet with you. If you'd like to meet with them and, and talk and pray, go to one of the retreats. If you know someone who's been through that trauma and you'd like to help them find out more about it, you can talk to them. But each one of us in here needs that victory in our life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I, I would say to you today that you and I, we got that baggage. You just name what it is. Somebody in here's done it, right? Bible tells us all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. She talked about going forward that day and, and nailing that on the cross. That's kind of the idea we have with the altar up here that's available every Sunday. Over here to my left, if you want to just bring something to God, talk to the Lord about something, if there's someone on your heart that you just feel like, man, Lord, I, I need to bring that to you. We just treat this as an altar where you can come and bring and present that before God. And if you do that, nobody's gonna pray with you. It's just you and the Lord, okay? But over here to the right, if it's the same thing, if there's something the Lord's put on your heart, maybe you just need to talk to him about it and you need someone to pray over you about it, then come over here to the, the kneelers on, the, on your left, my right. And as you kneel to pray, one of our ladies or our men, one of our team will just come and say, how can I pray for you? And they'll lay their hands on you and just listen and then pray for you. I'll be down front. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never had that experience of saying, Lord, I'm all in, then please come. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. Let me help you make that decision to follow Christ today. It could be that you really need to unpack it. They'll be in the prayer room in the back to my left. There'll be a couple there ready to unpack it. If you need to talk and just share what's on your heart, they'll be there to pray with you on that. So I'm gonna invite you, if you would, as Jimmy leads us in a song, you sing, you pray, you come forward, whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.